Podcastle. Number 9. From May 27, 2008. Wisteria by Ada Monikevich Brown. Hello, this is Rachel Swirsky, Podcastle's chief editor. Before I get into this intro, I have a teaser for you. At the end, you're going to hear Podcastle's first tagline. But now the intro. When I was seven years old, my great-uncle Henry died. My parents and I drove three hours to Uncle Henry and Aunt Irene's house in Atascadero to attend the prayer meeting where the local Quakers had gathered to commemorate Henry's passing. People sat in silence a while. Someone urged us to remember that Irene and Henry were an exemplar of the kind of marriage rarely seen in this century. When Henry died, they'd been married for 56 years. 56 years! Their marriage wasn't all cloudless skies, of course. Henry was a philanderer and a gambler. He had an addictive streak so wide that after he gave up the racetrack, he got addicted to milk. No joking. He drank two gallons a day. The doctor had to order him to stop. Irene, by contrast, was thoughtful, serene, reasonable. I remember once when I was five or so, maybe even younger, sitting out with her as she watered the plants in the garden by the house they built. I asked her, why don't you get a divorce? What a bold, unreasonable question. I don't remember Irene's exact response, but she looked up at me with understandable bemusement and said something that meant, I've always been with him. Being with him is who I am. Fifty-six years. In three weeks, I'm getting married. My fiancé and I have been together for five years. I love him wildly and deeply. And at the same time, it's terrifying to think about how stranded and bereft I would feel if he were to go. And we've only been together five years. People talk about how terrifying love can be because relationships decay, but love is also terrifying because of how connected our lives are with our loved ones. I don't want to imagine my life without him now. I can't imagine the impact of losing him after more than 50 years. For all that losing Henry must have been an unimaginable severance, she went on. I sang at her 90th birthday party as old women danced in their wheelchairs. Irene laughed and clapped. Today's story is Wisteria by Ada Milankovic-Brown, who lives in North Carolina, in the same town as the restaurant that invented Freedom Fries. She wrote her first work of speculative fiction, Mary the Fairy, at age seven. Although she always wanted to be a writer, her career took a slight detour when she became a microbiologist instead. Ada recently won an honorable mention from the Speculative Literature Foundation's Older Writers Grant. Her blog is countesslovelace.livejournal.com. This story is read by Maya Whitaker, also known as The Nitwitch. She's the host of The Nitwitch's Sci-Fi and Fantasy Zone podcast, which you can find at nitwitchzone.libsyn.com. Wisteria first appeared in Orson Scott Card's Intergalactic Medicine Show. Ada notes that this story contains a version of the Green Man, a mythical manifestation of fertility, rebirth, and life that appears in many cultures. For this story, Ada used an African version of the Green Man, Orissa Oko, who is a Yoruban agricultural god. Ada's own Green Man, her husband Frank, built her a wisteria arbor several years ago, and the wisteria bloomed for the first time right before she learned this story was going to be published. Links in this introduction are available on our website, podcastle.org. Now, are you ready for our tagline? I have a story for you, and I promise it's made up. Wisteria by Ada Milankovitch Brown
When Dahlia got out of Junior's truck in front of the three-story house, the first thing she noticed was the face in the leaves. The stone carving jutted out from the center of a rock terrace, a carving of a man's face with a leaf beard, his eyes peeking out from mole leaves all around them, as if the leaves had wound together and they grew and that had somehow made a man. For just a minute she tried to make out that it was Garner's face, but of course it wasn't. A mess of flowers, mostly red and yellow, surrounded the terrace along with a rock garden, with here and there weed in amongst the rocks. Garner could have told her the names of the flowers, but Garner had been gone five years now. Junior waved and drove off, his riding mower rattling a little on top of the flatbed. Dahlia straightened her tote bag and looked again at the garden, with the face watching her cross up toward the house. If Garner or even Junior had care of it, they'd have made sure the yard was better weeded. A lady with wispy silver hair and a bright yellow sundress stood nervously beside the front door. She cleared her throat, so Dahlia looked at her. Are you Mrs. Meeks? The lady said to Dahlia. She talked like she came from up north. Most folks call me Dahlia. Which was true about white folks anyway, at least the older ones. The younger ones had been calling her Ms. Dahlia, just like everyone else ever since civil rights made its way east of Wilson. But she felt it wasn't her place to tell anyone to call her Ms. The kitchen is this way. The lady smiled like she was having her picture made. It often seemed to make northern ladies a little nervous to have hired Dahlia to cook. But they didn't really have no choice about that. Dahlia was the best cook in the county. The lady said, I did tell you, didn't I? My tea is at 1 p.m. tomorrow. That's fine. I'll be baking the cakes today, and then tomorrow morning I'll come back and fix the sandwiches and the shrimp. Dahlia followed the lady through the living room, winding past two overstuffed sofas, decorated with vines and big flowers. The pattern was echoed in a border that ran just below the ceiling. It was funny about the white folks Dahlia worked for, how a lot of their houses looked alike. The rooms were too big and the furniture too far apart, like they never wanted to sit close and be friendly. No way to even sit outside at all except fenced in by a swimming pool. Swimming pools didn't set with Dahlia. Drown if you weren't careful. Their shoes tapped along the oak floors into the kitchen. Dahlia opened her tote bag and pulled out a faded calico apron and put it on. The lady, Miss Torrance, Dahlia recollected finally, pointed out canisters of flour, sugar, and cocoa, then the pans and bowls on the shelves. I think I've got everything you mentioned on the phone. Dahlia nodded. I'll get to work then. Oh, and Miss Torrance, tomorrow my son is landscaping over by Chocowinitty, so I'll need you to come pick me up, as I don't drive. Miss Torrance blushed a little. Of course. Could you write down directions? Dahlia handed her a piece of paper where Junior had done just that. The second stoplight. Is that what this says? Miss Torrance stuck out the paper to Dahlia. Dahlia told her she didn't have a reading glasses, but yes, if she was talking about downtown Grimesland, you turned at the second stoplight, which was Beaufort Street. 
Dahlia edged toward the refrigerator and hoped Miss Torrance had no more questions about Junior's note, or at least not enough questions to figure out that Dahlia couldn't read good. But Miss Torrance smiled weakly and backed away, so Dahlia paid her no more mind but washed her hands and set the butter out to soften. When she got to run in the mixer, two pairs of feet patted in behind her. What are you making? This was a tow-headed boy, about five. Dahlia ticked it off on her fingers. Caramel cake, coconut cake, and dirt cake. The blast was for the children. Dirt cake? Yuck! On Dahlia's right was the girl, who was taller, but looked just like the boy except with dark braids. She clicked her tongue at her brother. It's chocolate. That's right. See? I'm going to crush these cookies for dirt. Dahlia held up a package of Oreos and put in candy worms. Gummy worms, the girl corrected her. Cool! The boy ran into another room where soon a TV was coughing out explosions and foolish music. The sister got on tiptoe and set her head on folded arms on the counter beside the cake bowl. Sometimes I think he's developmentally delayed. She pronounced it very carefully. Dirt cake brought Dahlia back to thinking about Garner. Dirt was his element. When they had married and moved into his great Aunt Euphemia's shotgun house in Grimesland, there had been nothing around but dead grass and dirt. Garner had dug and planted and weeded, and little by little, year after year, it all turned green, till his heart attacked him. Now all that was left of Ghana was leaves, sycamores, hydrangeas, weeping willows, and wisteria. It was all Ghana. It had his stamp. She just never thought to look for his face in it. She pulled the coconut layers out with silvery mitts, ignoring the heat breath of the oven, and put in a big flower pot of dirt cake batter. Time to get started on the frostings. Caramel first. That was the tricky one. You had to stir it just right when you heated it up, or it'd come out grainy. Yes, if you could see anyone's face in the leaves, it surely would be Garner's. That night, Dahlia tossed and turned in bed, on a right side, on a back, on a stomach. It had been no use trying to sleep on her left side since Garner died, because that was the side of the bed he slept on. Because even without turning that way, she could feel he wasn't there. She wished she hadn't seen that carving. Now she wanted to see Garner's face in the leaves. Dahlia threw off the covers and put on her shoes. She slipped out the back screen door, which creaked as it closed, and she stepped into the grass. The yard was warm and humid and bathed in moonlight. The sycamores raised dark branches like fingers into the air. The willows hulked over in mounds over their trunks. She studied the trees as she wound her way through. No face. She circled past the hydrangeas, their blue flowers white in the evening, to the middle of the yard where the wisteria grew on a circle of trellises covered with spokes of planking. 
It had been Garner's present to her on their thirty-fifth anniversary, and now the vines and grape clusters of flowers tangled down in their gazebo shape. She went all around it, looking in through the leafy vines and cones of flowers. Then she went in the middle under the spokes to sit, finally, on the stone bench Garner had put there and stare at his gravestone. Maybe the children had the right of it. Maybe it was foolishness to have him here instead of at the cemetery down by the church. Junior thought so sure, though he never said. But you could tell by the set of his back as he trimmed around the gravestone with his edge trimmer. Her daughter, Larissa, never stopped talking about it the minute she set foot in Dahlia's house. Mama, you shoulda this, and Mama, you shoulda that. There was plenty of shoulda's Dahlia could say about Larissa's business. Dahlia's grandbabies playing on that computer till all hours, getting no sleep. But Dahlia kept out of other folks' business, and they should keep out of hers. Plenty of folk had family cemeteries on their land. You could see the graves every which away on the country highways. And besides, Dahlia would have felt in the churchyard like she was leaving Ghana. I'm here, she whispered. I won't go away this time. She stared around in the semi-darkness. Should have done this in the daytime. I'm here to touch your face. I'm here to hold your hand. No one answered her in the dark. Tuesday was a busy day. She got to the Torrance house late on account of Ms. Torrance getting lost picking her up. She made ham biscuits in a whirlwind all morning, which near to wore out her fingers kneading, patting, and cutting the biscuits to bake. Then the tea party, putting out cold shrimp, which luckily she didn't have to peel because Miss Torrance chose not to pay the extra fee, pimento cheese sandwiches, iced sweet tea, and hot coffee. Of course she put out the cakes. When the doorbell started ringing, she went back to the kitchen and did her homework writing down the names of foods that she found on cans in the pantry. Occasionally, she went in amid the chorus of chattering voices to restock the sandwich trays. The little boy ran past her when she was cleaning up. He had chocolate smeared across his upper lip and his right cheek. Tuesday was reading night, so after all that, Junior took her to the church to meet with Cece, who wore scarves and those long African dresses. Got my homework. Dahlia sat down in the fellowship hall at the table across from Cece and pulled out a list of words she'd read and written down from the cans in the pantry. They went over the words, and then, like usual, Cece had Dahlia talk about something to make into a story. Dahlia talked about Garner, but not the face in the leaves or how she ached to have him lying beside her. The story went like this. Garner was my husband. He was a gardener. The best. Which is why they called him Garner instead of Sidney Meeks. He made wisteria gazebos. All the mamas had Garner planning when the girls were sixteen, so the wisteria would cover it for their weddings. He grew a special kind, late bloom, to be all flowers for the June brides. Miss Dahlia, does this story say what you want it to? 
Cece said that every time they did these stories. And the trouble was, Dahlia had a different story about Garner inside her. About how they'd fixed his heart in the hospital, and two days after the operation, lying all weak in the bed, he finally opened his eyes. Touch my face, he whispered. She could barely hear him. Hold my hand. And she did. But then she got so tired sitting there, hour by hour worrying, till the room was swimming. So she left him alone and went home to sleep. In the middle of the night, they called her that he'd gone worse, and she called Junior and they went out to the hospital. But when they got there, Garner was dead. How was she to know they'd fix him up, but he'd die anyway? She hadn't been touching his face, nor his hand, when he died. He died without her, alone, tubes stuck in him, and bags of liquid medicine hanging around him, and doctor machines making noises. But she didn't need to learn to read and write this story on a piece of paper. It was awful enough to have it running through her head. So she'd said the other story that Cece wrote down. Then Cece had Dahlia point to words she wanted to learn. Dahlia pointed to wisteria and gazebos. She already knew how to read Ghana's name. Cece picked out 16 and explained that it was the same as 1-6, but with letters. Then the lesson ended with Dahlia writing out the fixings for pimento cheese sandwiches. Cece had to help us spell out Worcestershire sauce, which felt a whole lot shorter when Dahlia said it in her mouth than when she wrote it all out on paper. As Junior drove her home, Dahlia asked him if he'd noticed the face with the leaves. He had. Lots of folks had them. Dahlia asked what kind of leaves was around the face. Junior said it depended. Sometimes oak, sometimes grapes, sometimes ivy. What about wisteria? He shrugged. Don't know if I ever seen that. Them faces give me the shivers anyhow. There was one at another house where I helped Daddy cut grass. He called it Oko. Said that's what he was called in Africa. Said Oko would come for us if Larissa and I didn't weed the yard. Dahlia shook her head. She never liked Garner scaring the children with tails. But the face? Why couldn't the leaves be wisteria? It was near to grapes. Just flowers instead of fruit. Purple flowers, even. That night, her hands ached her and fidgeted, like she couldn't stop kneading biscuits. She found herself turning on her left side, longing for Garner to fill the empty space beside her. She reached her aching fingers out to where he ought to be, and they ached more, because the memory of his flesh was in her fingers, too, when she used to reach out for him in the dark, doughy, soft, and cool. But no matter which way she reached or turned, there was that brittle space inside, She'd managed to cover it up before, layers upon layers like smooth pearl locking away the sharp edges of missing him. Now the layers were cracking, and the emptiness was back. 
Soon she dreamed that leaves were growing in tangles across the bed, and she saw Ghana's face peeking out between them. His eyes, deep and brown, stared at her. Smiling eyes. She brushed the vines aside and found his mouth within a beard of leaves. The leaves were smooth but ridged, and the mouth was soft against her hand, and she leaned her own mouth into the softness, pressing a kiss into him. But when she felt for his calloused hands, it was all vines and hanging bunches of flowers, and then it was all tubes and hanging medicine bags, and then it was all sorriness and sobs, and her sobs woke her. So she got up again to go sit on the bench in the gazebo. The moon was even brighter this night. As she examined every patch of wisteria, her eyes swam again like in the hospital. She rubbed them and looked some more and thought she saw one eye and part of a cheek above a leaf beard in the vines behind and above Ghana's tombstone. She stood and reached for the place to arrange the wisteria, pulling it here and there, twisting, sometimes untwisting, till the spaces seemed to her to look more like Ghana's shadow. Then she saw his whole face in the leaves, and his hand reached out to her from the vines, but as she grabbed his hand, it was nothing but leaves and she sat down on the grass, and then she lay down, and Junior found her in the early morning light, lying across Garner's grave. Larissa called that next day with lots of stiff words, which matched Dahlia's stiff muscles as she lay in bed resting. Dahlia just knew Junior had set this up, worried that Dahlia was fretting over Garner. Sure enough, after all the talk about what Kareem and Carlos were up to in the first week of school and how many goals they'd kicked at soccer practice, how the father was making out as their new principal, on it came. The Dahlia should move in with all of them. How they could build an apartment on the side of the house. I can't leave you, Daddy. He's in heaven, Mama. He's no closer to Grimesland than to Winston-Salem. And maybe that was true, except Ghana had come to her between the wisteria, and it wouldn't be right to leave him alone. Not again. She almost said so. I got to stay here. He's in the leaves like that oko face. But she held the words in with pursed lips before they got out of her mouth. Larissa and Junior would never give her a moment's peace if she said a thing like that. When Junior called later to see how Dahlia was doing, she wrote him about not leaving her be. I ain't moving to Winston-Salem. You need to move in with Larissa, cause you won't move in with me. I ain't moving in with that girl of yours either. She don't like me. Junior never said anything more when Dahlia brought it up about his girl, which just proved the point. It was unusual for the very first hurricane of the year to make it all the way to Grimesland, but the warning for Hurricane Aaron came over the radio, and Junior was all around the house running tape over windows, filling up Dahlia's bathtub, and cluttering her tiny kitchen with more bottles of water than Dahlia could ever drink in three hurricane seasons.
he begged her to come and just stay the night with him and that girl. Dahlia would have none of it. She'd been through Bertha and Fran and Floyd, and all that had ever come of those for her was a bit of rain and wind and cooking up everything in the freezer on the gas stove when the electricity went out too long. It wasn't like all that mess in New Orleans. It was already raining when he left. The wind came up and sheets of rain were pounding on the windows and swaying the trees as Dahlia watched from her bedroom. The lights flickered and went out. The clock stopped at four, but outside all the clouds made it dark like dusk. Sycamore branches pelted the yard. The willows bowed, which meant they weren't like to break. But in the middle, the gazebo trellises ripped apart and wisteria was fallen. Dahlia ran up to the window, though she knew she shouldn't do that in a storm, and peered out around the big X taped across the glass. The piece of trellis behind Garner's grave hadn't fallen, but it was swaying whenever a gust came up. Dahlia ran out into the rain and grabbed fistfuls of wood and leaves on each side to hold up the rest of the trellis. She buried her face in the leaves and tried to hold up the wall of vines, but it bore down on her a wave of blooms and leaves and tangles drowning her in its heaviness. As the leaves smothered her face, she felt him. Ghana was kissing her. His outstretched arms mirrored hers. His hands, his calloused hands, twined their fingers in her fingers. She could feel him through a soaked dress as it ripped against the splintered pieces of trellis which the wisteria pushed up against her. A gust of wind tore at her as leaves, vines, and trellis swayed over, and Dahlia and Ghana fell with it onto his grave. He lay outlined in wisteria. The wind roared, and the rain came in sheets, and Ghana was inside her and outside her and holding her safe, not from the wind and the rain, but from the ache. She held him close, and his arms wrapped around her, and she pulled up into a ball and wept into the water and the wind. Wisteria was raining all around them, and then a trellis on the other side cracked and came down. And then blood rained, too, in drops from a head where it flowed away pink in the grass over Ghana's grave. She heard his voice in the wind. I left you alone. I'm sorry. No, she said. It was me. Forgive me. As the wind and rain died down, he faded away from her. But she heard his voice in the wind once more just before it all faded. And he said, Go on. Go on now. Then Junior ran up shouting and pulled her out of the vines and the trellis pieces and carried her into the house. Soon sirens wailed louder and louder. Faces appeared on people with blue uniforms who strapped belts across her and hoisted her up and wheeled her head first into a van. The van bumped and heads looked down at her and hands did fussy doctor things to her arms. She heard Garner's voice in her head, and she knew to go on. 
and she knew not to look any more for his face in the garden, nor in the uniforms, or in the vines of tubing, or belts, or the bags of medicine hanging down on poles like wisteria. After the story of the feedback, episode number seven, Fear of Rain by Robert T. Jeschenek. Reaction to this story was mixed. Some enjoyed it, but the appropriately named Rain said, I am not quite sure what to think of the story. It was interesting and certainly not bad, but it always bugs me when I read stories about unsympathetic characters and I have a hard time separating the two things. But Hatton said, It is the humanity in the girl that makes this story enjoyable for me. Flawed as she is, she has a heart and uses it. Both comments are part of a discussion about the main character, her motivations, her relationship with Mr. Flood, and why she had the name she did. A few listeners compared it to Mer Lafferty's City Talkers and thought Ms. Lafferty had done a very good job reading. Pottero 8 joined a chorus pointing out that Johnstown had been mispronounced and then said, Otherwise, I really liked hearing about a supernatural way that the town has been flooded over the years. Cuddlebug said, One thing that seemed like a logical slip to me was the explanation justification used for the floods. Why would flooding the same place over and over again preserve a way of life? It's an interesting question. Visit forum.escapeartist.info and weigh in on Fear of Rain, this week's episode, or any of the others. Podcastle is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed on a Creative Commons attribution non-commercial license. Share it, but don't change it or sell it. Our theme music is by Shiva in Exile. You can find them at magnatune.com. You can discuss this episode of Podcastle or nearly anything else in our forums. Just visit forum.escapeartists.info. And if you like science fiction or horror, be sure to visit our sister podcasts, Escape Pod and Pseudopod. And if you enjoyed this episode, tell a friend or post to your blog about it or consider donating via the PayPal link on our site. Hope Edelman said, Our lives are shaped as much by those who leave us as they are by those who stay. Loss is our legacy. Insight is our gift. Memory is our guide.